Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. I trust your day is going super well. And let's begin with a question. When you express yourself, do others really pay attention? When you're communicating with others, you need to get it right, increase your odds, increase your impact. But here's some disturbing news. Today's first guest, Paul Hellman, warns that most of our your listeners aren't really paying attention. And worse yet, he tells us that whether you're presenting to a large audience, meeting face-to-face one-on-one, talking on the phone, or even sending an email, you need to gain your listeners' full attention within eight seconds. But here's some good news. Paul is here to tell us how we can stop people from tuning us out and how we can engage them fast, whether we're talking to one person or to a thousand. And before I introduce him, here are Paul Hillman's credentials. He consults and speaks internationally on how to make your uh, point with more impact in less time. And he's founder of Express Potential and has worked with thousands of business leaders over the past 25 years. He's appeared in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, on CNN and NPR, and he's author of the acclaimed 2017 book, You've Got Eight Seconds, Communication Secrets, for a distracted world. And hello, Paul Hillman. It's uh, great to have you on, and it's an honor to have you here on the Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, from the book's title, how did you come up with that eight seconds as the time we have to gain another's attention? Now, where does that come from? Uh, the title, You've Got Eight Seconds, actually comes from research that was done by Microsoft, hmm. which which claims that eight seconds is the new attention span. And here's what's really disturbing about that. Goldfish are reputed to have a nine-second attention span. So goldfish are beating us. So maybe we should start communicating with our goldfish. (laughs) We wouldn't have to go so fast in getting our point across. Well, uh In your book, uh, You've Got Eight Seconds, you reveal three attributes for uh, effective communication. And what are these three attributes? Yeah, the the three strategies, and and this is really based on, as as you uh, kindly pointed out, I've had some 25 years of consulting experience, so this is what I do. I work with executives and business leaders at often global companies who were really challenged uh, to to make sure that what they say actually gets heard. Because there's a huge gap, right? You can say it, but it doesn't mean anybody heard it. And even if they heard it, they may not, they may not remember it. And even if they heard it and remembered it, they may not actually do anything about it. So the challenge is 
to make sure that when you speak, you're getting heard, you're getting remembered, and you're getting results. And the three strategies, and we can, you know, we can spend time drilling down on these if you'd like. The first strategy has to do with focus. And a, a lot of that is about getting to the point. And then there are some other pieces with, with focus that have to do with just how you design your message. Yeah. This, the second thing after focus is variety. There's huge advantage to being slightly different. And I always emphasize the word slightly because you don't want to do anything, particularly at work, that's going to be career risky. But you do want to stand out. So there's focus and there's variety. And then the third strategy is presence, or sometimes called executive presence. And this has to do with the fact that sometimes we just seem to pay attention to people and we can't quite put our finger on it, but there's just something about about them that draws us in. And and presence is interesting because frequently it never gets defined. And so so what I've done in the book, you've got eight seconds, in that section of the book, uh, what what happens is that I actually operationalize presence and say, here are 10 things, 10 specific things that will increase what will it will increase your presence basically and increase increase uh, the perception of your presence with other people so those are the three yeah, it's focus it's variety and it's presence and, and usually they're corporate leaders uh, you often see that in them and, and when they they talk you just pay attention because uh, they just sort of uh, exude confidence and, and uh, intelligence and uh, also an understanding of your problem which obviously is important to anyone that's listening, but uh, I know just what you're talking about there in terms of presence. But the, you well, I think that's that's right. You know, one of the interesting things about confidence, though, is that you can look confident without feeling confident. This comes as a real surprise. I, I work with a lot of a lot of speakers, and and or you know people that have to give presentations or or stand up in front of big audiences, and 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 often. I would say the vast majority of people that are in the public spotlight like like that uh, will will tell you at least privately that they they feel some degree of anxiety hmm. and nervousness, um, and yet there's there's a big difference between what you're feeling inside, what your inner experience is, and how you come across outside. So oftentimes people can look very confident, even though inside they they just feel kind of like like jellyfish. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you developed a fast-focused method, as you call it, whether you're talking to one person or a thousand, to help others from zoning out. And uh, what are the three elements of your uh, fast-focused method? So, yeah, so this is this is all about what you're asking, and thanks for asking, is how do you focus a message? And the message could be, anything from a long presentation, even to a really short email. And then, of course, in between those two things are all the conversations at work that we have. Let's say we're going in to talk to our manager or or even we're at a meeting and we just raise our hands to say something. How do you you focus your message? And so if, if the goal, and I believe this is the goal, is not just to say it, but to make sure people hear it and they remember it and so forth, then what that means is, um, here, are th- here are the three key words, be the audience. 
Um, so the the key principle with focus, uh, focusing a message is to be the audience. I'll, I'll give you um, a quick example of this, and then we can talk more about how you actually do focus a message. Yeah. I got a call. I got a phone call one day from a, a financial professional working in Midtown Manhattan, mm-hmm. and he was in his mid thirties. And he had worked at this at this firm for several years, and he was getting ready to have a mid-year performance review. And he called me because he wanted to strategize: how should I handle how should I handle this review? I've got this opportunity to sit down with my manager, and that doesn't come up a lot, and so on yeah. and so forth. And so, so I, I asked him a question that I ask a lot, and the question was. You're going you're gonna to have this mid-year review. At the end of it, if your manager could only remember one thing, what's the one thing? And usually when I ask that question, it, it really causes people to pause a little bit. But he didn't, he didn't pause at all. He said, I want my manager to know that I am very, very, very unhappy here. Now, let's go back to the key principle. And the key principle is be the audience. So even though... Let's say in this case you're very very unhappy. Uh, before you go knocking on the on your boss's door to have the mid year review, be the boss, right? So be the yeah. audience. So now you have you to imagine. Okay, is why are you unhappy? <laughs> well, be. that might be if you have a good manager, and it sounds like you would be a good manager. That's what the good manager would ask, right? But that's one yeah. possibility. But yeah. if if we if we just spend a few seconds, and it doesn't, you don't have to really spend much more than. 30 seconds or a minute or two, just imagining, okay, let's imagine instead of being me, I'm imagining I'm the, I'm the boss. Yeah. It's kind of looking at the chessboard from both angles. Yeah. So I'm the boss, and here comes one of my employees to tell me how very, very unhappy he is. What am I likely to think or feel, or how am I likely to respond to that? And it might be what you just said, Roy. It might be that the manager would say, would start asking some questions, but it's also possible the manager would get triggered and would have an emotional reaction, might yeah. feel might feel defensive, right? If you're telling me how unhappy you are, maybe what I'm hearing as your manager is, I guess what you're saying is I'm a really bad manager, because yeah. if I were a good manager, you wouldn't exactly be so unhappy. Right. You get right? very defensive when somebody comes in and says that. Yeah, uh, and or you might or you might think to yourself, you know what? I'm paying you a lot of money, and we're right in midtown Manhattan, and I'll bet I could post your job and maybe, oh, I don't know, in a couple of weeks, I might get several hundred, maybe several thousand resumes from people that would not be very, very, very unhappy. (laughs) And so so this, this business of focusing a message always starts with being the audience. Yeah. And and then from that, because uh, I'm a f- huge fan of simplicity, yeah. I believe every audience in the world has three questions. Yeah. So whether you're talking to your manager or you're talking to your spouse or you're talking to the next door neighbor, yeah. and someone just says, how was your day? That in all those cases, this that audience, those audiences are going to have the same three questions. And so, part of focusing a message is making sure that you understand the three questions and that you've answered them. Yeah, what are and, those three questions? 
Yeah, and so the three and the three questions are very intuitive, uh, and they might be even people listening to this program right now might have yeah. these questions. Yeah. And the the first question is. You can think of these questions, by the way, as hurdles that you have to jump over in order to first capture and then hold on to people's attention. Yeah. So the first question is really simple. Why am I listening? <laughs> why am I listening? I mean, again, it's an eight-second world, and we can talk more about that eight-second world, but yeah. why am I listening? I've got a thousand things that I'm thinking about. Why am I listening? Yeah. And the second question is, let's assume you jump that hurdle and the person is listening. So the, the second question then becomes, okay, I'm listening. What exactly are you saying? <laughs> because oftentimes you, you hear people, you know, I do, I, do about, I do about 12 different workshops having to do with communication at work. Mm-hmm. And one of the 12 is about stories yeah. because stories turn out – the, a, a well-constructed story turns out to be just a, a dynamite way to capture people's attention. Not only will it capture people's attention, but people remember stories. Just like but, the story but you we told about don't, the uh, unhappy guy that <laughs> yeah. caught our attention. We, but we often don't. Um, we often don't construct stories well. So we're still drilling down on these three questions. And the second question is, what are you saying? And sometimes you hear people tell stories, and the story sort of sounds like this. People say, we'll we'll say, last Wednesday. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Couldn't have been last Wednesday. I think... I think it couldn't have been Wednesday because Wednesday I was I was in Philadelphia. You know, it was the it was the craziest thing. Tuesday night, my boss says to me, "You got to go to Philadelphia tonight." Like I have no life, and the person's going on and on and just sort of digressing. You're going, you know, I don't care whether it was Wednesday, Tuesday, Friday, whether you were in Philadelphia or New York or Paris. What happened? So that's really the second question. What exactly are you saying? Yeah. First question is why am I listening, and then if I am listening. The next question is, what are you saying? And the third question is, okay, I did listen and I did hear what you were saying. What do you want me to do about this? Yeah, that's that's sort of the key third step. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and even outside of work, you often hear, I often hear... Um, people talk, let's say, people that are married or in significant long-term relationships, uh, and you hear this complaint that one person will say, you know, I, 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 I come home at the end of the day, I'm talking about a particular problem or something that really bothered me, and my, my spouse, maybe they listen, maybe they don't, but if they listen, the first thing they do is, well, they'll tell me how to fix it. Like, yeah. here's what you should do about that. <laughs> and, the, and the person will say, I didn't, I didn't really want them to fix it. I didn't even want advice. I just wanted somebody to listen. Yeah. So we often get confused as a listener. What do you want me to do? Yeah, that's so true. So anyway, that's how you focus a message, whether, again, it's, it, you're talking to one person, you're talking to a thousand people, it's work, it's not work. Um, it all begins with be the audience and making sure that you answer these questions. Why, why should I listen? What are you saying? Um, and that's where conci- the what are you saying part is where conciseness comes in. And then what do you want me to do about that? Well, you wisely advise that the last moments of a presentation is just as critical as the first. And should we always wait until the close to propose a course of action or um, give us an example of an effective closing statement? Yeah. 
so in terms of openings and closings, if you think about uh, what, what, again, how you're going to, what, what are people going to remember? Often what happens is people remember first impressions, so that's yeah. why the opening, the first few seconds are so important. And they also remember last impressions, right? Because the last impressions are most recent. Yeah. And so, so a good close is, is, is usually some form of a call to action. Yeah. And, and a call to action could be either what, what should people, what should the audience do next? Yeah. Or if there's no do, there's no action that you want them to do, then what would you like your audience to feel? Yeah. And if there's no action and there's no feeling, what do you want your audience to think? So, so an example would be um, Winston Churchill. Uh, I think back in 1941, he was he gave this uh, this commencement address, and and just imagine that. Let's say you were in the room at the time. You know, here's you have Winston Churchill coming to speak. This is two years into World War II. Yeah. You've got Winston Churchill. I mean, think how thrilling this would be. And so Winston Churchill shows up. He stands up, and he says, "Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never give in." And then that's it. Yeah. And then he sat down. That's it. Then he, yeah. I don't know whether he sat down or he left, yeah. but he was he was in and out of there in no time flat. Now, actually, I put that anecdote in the book, You've Got Eight Seconds, and you put something in a book, you've got to double, triple check it. And so when I went to triple check it, what I discovered is that's not exactly what happened. What, what really, really happened is that that day he gave something like uh, a 741-word commencement speech. But if you do the math, 741 words... You know, we tend to speak at about 150, 200 words a minute. So he was still in and out within five minutes. And I think the folklore that he said, never give in, never give in, never give in, and that was the only thing. I think that's because that was the one thing that people remembered. Yeah, that was probably his closing statement. And that was probably his close, and it was a really strong call to action. Yeah, no, that's excellent. But, uh, well, uh when you're rehearsing for a speech, you tell us to focus on vocal variety and animation. We can't demonstrate animation on the radio, but if you please give us a sample of vocal variety, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So let me, um, I'm going to give you the answer to that, but first I just want to say it's really important, it's really important when you're speaking to project energy. Yeah. And people get confused about what energy is. And sometimes people think that w- misthink that what energy is, is I have to be wildly extroverted, or I have to be hyper-caffeinated, yeah. or I have, to do, I have to do all these physical, almost you know, jumping jack kinds of things up in front of people. And what I, be- what I believe about energy, and again, I, I work and 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 train and, and coach executives and professionals who have to give important presentations. What I believe energy really, really comes down to is variety. Yeah. 
And so vocal, to answer your question now, vocal variety, years and years ago, I went through, uh, I went through a training. Uh, it was done by Dale Carnegie. Um, Dale Carnegie is still around. I, I can't speak to um, how good or not good it might be now, but when I went through it many years ago, it was really excellent. It was this 14-week program, and, and you'd go and uh, once a week, and you'd, you'd get up and you'd give these presentations. Anyway, I only remember one or two things uh, from that training, but one was that they used to they used to say something like speak high speak low <laughs> speak fast speak slow <laughs> and that's vocal variety yeah okay <laughs> and and by the way that's a good i still sometimes use that with when i'm doing workshops i'll say here's something i learned from dale carnegie uh and it's a great vocal warm up people you know people all the time um will go to work and they'll have let's say an early morning conference call or an early morning meeting and it turns out they haven't really spoken to anybody before they show up on this call or at that meeting <laughs> and and their voice is kind of rusty almost so it's oh, it is useful it is useful to warm up yeah no that's for sure well let's talk a little bit about your book you've got eight seconds well who should read this book is it just for uh, folks who give regular presentations or can someone that uh, maybe just tries to convince the boss or a family member or a friend one-on-one, can they also benefit from your book? Or Yeah. Well, I, of course, I love this question. And there is a chapter in the book. So the, the book has, has these three main sh- strategies about how, how do you stand out? Yeah. How can you stand out? Uh, because I believe, actually, that everybody presents themselves at work Every single day. Yeah. So yeah, you could be giving you could be giving a lengthy presentation, but like you say, you could just be going in and talking to your manager. Yeah. You could be you could be talking to a client on the phone. You could be sending an email, and all those th- in all those instances, even email. And there's there are things in the book about about not just how do you speak, but also how to write. And because in all those all those instances, those are moments of truth. Oh. And it may be the case that people don't remember what you say or what you wrote in an email, but they will remember their impression of you. I do a workshop just on emails. I had a client ask me. I do. I I, I was working with one client, and one of my workshops is called Your Point with a question mark, and it's how to be concise. And this has been really, really popular with this client, uh, with this particular client. They said, well, can you also now do a workshop just on emails? Take the mm. be concise principles and, and put it into emails. And in the, in the book, you've got eight seconds. There's a section on emails and, and so oh, forth. Nice. So, yeah, there's a chapter called Presentation Tricks. But that's only, that's only one chapter in the book, and there are, I'm actually opening up the book right now just to see, yeah, there are 15 different chapters in this book, and there's only one chapter called Presentation Tricks. So I think if someone is interested in sharpening their presentations, I would heartily recommend they take a look at this book, You've Got Eight Seconds. But it's, again, I believe everybody presents themselves at work every single day yeah. in one form or another, and so... 
for anybody at work, whether you're an executive or a business leader or you're a technical professional, particularly for scientists and engineers, lawyers, I've worked with all these groups who want to make sure that they get heard. Um, this, I believe, is the book for you. And in fact, actually, just in the last week, it's become, uh, it showed up as an Amazon bestseller, uh, number one bestseller, the Kindle edition for business communication. So anybody at work who's got to communicate about anything, I think this would be a good resource. And at home, and it's, for it, that matter. <laughs> what's that? And at home in your family, you need to be a good communicator, too, to... Yeah, well, that's and and the principles are the principles really are applicable across both work and home. And actually, when I'm when I'm doing workshops, the workshops that I do are always with people at work. So it's always I'm working at at companies uh, for their you know for either their leaders or their professionals or whoever. But I'm always telling people at workshops if you can find opportunities to use these principles not just at work but also outside of work, that's really to the good because the more you use anything, the more it becomes part of your repertoire. Well, obviously they can find it on Amazon since it's a bestseller there, but uh, where are some other places folks should go to uh, purchase your book? You've got eight seconds. Where's the best place to go? Uh, I would send people to, well, I think Amazon would be my first choice. Yeah. And then... um, Probably I would try Barnes and Noble. Uh, they're you know online there. Yeah. You can get it at one eight hundred. It's uh, it's actually called eight hundred. Uh, so the numbers eight zero zero eight hundred C E O read. Um, is another um, that's eight hundred C E O read is particularly good. This book has been, um, I've got a number of corporate clients like um, NASA and Boeing and Sanofi, uh, the big pharmaceutical company. They've all made bulk purchases. And if anybody's making a bulk purchase, I always steer them to 1-800-CEO-READ. But for individuals, I think Amazon.com is just fine because... Uh, Give us I your use website all the time address in case somebody uh, wants to check out uh, your background or maybe they'd want to retain you as a client. What, what, where should they go for that? Yeah, thank you for asking. So my company is called Express Potential. And so, of course, there's a website, ExpressPotential.com. Potential is P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L. And that's all dot one com. word together, no spaces or anything. No space. It's just expresspotential.com. And one of the reasons people might want to check that out is that I write, and I've been doing this for about 10 years, I write these very, very fast tips about how to effectively communicate and and related things. Um, CNBC, if if your listeners are familiar with CNBC, the business network, they have published over 100 of these fast tips on their website, cnbc.com, and I send them out uh, to anybody who wants to try them. Mm -hmm. And the promise of these tips is they're fast, uh, they're fun, 
but they always have a point, and you can get these at no charge, and that's it's the only kind. thing when people get these, that that's the only thing you'll ever get. So sometimes you sign up for something, and suddenly you're getting yeah. all sorts of spam. I only I send these out twice a month. It's the only time people will ever hear, and whenever I send out a tip, I always put a, um, there's always a link, so if someone says, no, this isn't for me, they just hit the link and they're off the list forever, instantaneously, and I always promise to remain very cheerful about that. Well, that's great. Well, if you're, uh, in conclusion, if you're definitely afraid of getting up in front of a group, or maybe you're afraid to go approach your boss about a good idea you may have, uh, Paul uh, Hellman's book is definitely for you. But perhaps you're um, never uh, seldom ever called upon to make a speech. You just want to be uh, more comfortable pitching your ideas to others or commenting effectively one-on-one. This book is also for you, and every single one of us has a wealth of ideas and inspiration to share, and it's high time that you uh, put a permanent stop to other folks who are ignoring what you have to say. I know there's nothing more irritating than that. And if you want to become an effective, exceptionally effective communicator to a big audience or to your boss or your spouse and kids, Paul Hellman's You've Got Eight Seconds can be just the guide for you. And as a reviewer put it, it's easy, high impact. It's a high impact read that provides very extensive uh, every executive, I should say, and that includes a family CEO or a co-CEO, uh, with the tips to effectively uh, communicate up, down, across organizations and with customers. And thank you so much, Paul Hillman. It's uh, best of success with your book and with your workshops, consulting assignments, speaking, and all that you do. Well, thank you so much, Roy. This has been a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate your interest. Wow, that was a most fascinating interview with communications expert Paul Hellman. It's so important that we become the audience. We place ourselves inside the person or persons we're talking with. And as Paul Hellman indicated, those we are speaking with, our audience, will have three basic questions. One, why am I listening? Two, what exactly are you saying? And three, why do you, what, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> now, to effectively get your point across and to motivate others uh, to respond the way you want them to, even if it's only to agree with you or to laugh at a joke, you need effectively to answer all three questions. And to close today's program, I'd like to temporarily return to uh, a sample that uh, Paul Hellman told us about and place yourselves in the shoes of the unhappy Midtown Manhattan financial professional. That's the fellow or gal, Paul didn't really reveal the individual's sex, that's about to enter the boss's office for a mid-year performance review. And to simplify, I'll call this employee he, even though it may be a woman. And for whatever reason, maybe long hours, uninspiring workload, inadequate compensation, you are very unhappy in your work. Now, before you enter the boss's office, you have in mind a clear objective of what you want to propose and also what your boss has the power to grant. It's not uh, really worth complaining if you don't have some idea of just what you're seeking. In fact, perhaps it's better if you offer to resign in return for a generous severance package 
because there's no point in beating your head against the wall if circumstances aren't going to get better. But assuming you know precisely what you are asking and what your boss has the power to grant, then place yourself in your boss's shoes, and before you go in, answer these three questions. One, why am I, your boss, listening? Well, that one's easy because it's time for your mid-year review. But note, numerous studies demonstrate that most bosses don't like to give performance reviews any more than employees like to receive them. Uh, Moreover, it's uh, highly unlikely, though, that your boss expects you to hit him with a long list of personal grievances. So then comes the second question, what exactly are you asking? And in this case, I suggest you need to present your request in a totally different context. Not, this is why I'm so unhappy, this is all the things wrong with my job. Instead, here are some changes I am proposing, uh, <clears throat> things that will make the job better for me, but at the same time will be good for the company. In other words, place it in positive rather than a negative concept, uh, context. For example, the long overtime hours you are pointing in is causing fatigue and increasing your error rate, thereby harming your boss and your department's credibility. So here are some proposals of how you can spread the workload and maybe uh, reorganize certain things to make it easier. And the third question, what do you want me to do about it? Obviously, this one is essential if you want to get anything out of the uh, discussion. And this is the most crucial question to answer, and it needs to be answered as a win-win proposition. You, the employee, needs to propose a solution that will benefit your boss. Obviously, if there's nothing in it for him or her, uh, the boss isn't going to be all that receptive. Also, your fellow employees and the entire department, not just you. Let's presume that your boss is a caring individual who has the best interests of the employer uh, and all the employees in mind. And if you can demonstrate to your boss a valid reason, not only why you're unhappy, but also propose a solution, a realistic one, that can produce better results for all, you have a very good chance of getting your way. But if your comments are only personal complaints, your coworker Jenny is paid more than you, excessive overtime is causing you to miss some of your son's little league games, or distribution of workload is unfair, without any promise or reward through improved performance, if changes are made, then the complaints very likely will fall on deaf ears and will get you in the hot water with your uh, boss. And if I were this unhappy uh, boss or the boss of this unhappy financial professional and he spent 15 or 20 minutes telling me how unhappy he was, as Paul Hellman indicated, my likely thoughts would be, first, he's telling me I'm a lousy boss because uh, no one's that unhappy if they work for a good boss. Second, he's not really on my team. He's in the game for himself, and I'm not really comfortable with him working for me. And third, I'd better start giving key assignments to other employees, to his contemporaries, who are more team players and more loyal, and I begin looking for his replacement because the first chance he gets, he's going to abandon ship. 
Now, it's perfectly all right to propose changes that have potential to enhance your own performance and make you happy. There's no reason anyone should be miserable at work. And also the performance of others. And also it's okay to propose increasing the potential payout you receive so long as you're contributing more and it's not at the expense of others. But keep it positive, for God's sake. And always remember, you are the presenter, and those you address, individually or together, have three questions for you before they're willing to listen and consider your proposals. And as you may recall, my second book, Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines, by Roy C. Richards, is all about recreating and re-energizing lagging enterprises and participants midstream, and it contains a whole host of suggestions, uh, both for leaders and for employees, on how to make each workday more positive and productive for your whole team. And you'll find it along with my first book, A Midlife Challenge Wake Up, on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And that's our program for this week. Tune in again next week when my guest will talk about a surefire cure for chronic pain. Bye for now. From Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 